there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. An eclipse is an obscuring of the light from one celestial body by the passage of another between it and the observer, or between it and its source of illumination. The other day, Jess and I were out painting in the back. I asked him, how's life? And he kind of described this state of, I guess you could call it a funk, you know, where you just try and keep your nose above water. And every once in a while the wind blows and you get water up your nose and (laughs) then something else happens. Or every once in a while there's a big splash or big wave and you go under. Basically what, what he described was a state of eclipse. When our light has been obscured, the light that we live by has been obscured in some way. Now not everyone will understand this because not everyone lives by that kind of light. There are some people who are completely, totally in life. There there isn't anything else. But for people like us, people who are trying to extricate ourselves from the entanglement that life is constantly weaving around us and growing around us, like vines just kind of grow around you. And before you know it, they're around your legs, they're around your arms, and you can't move, you can't walk. And then, of course, it makes things dark because... They come with their own shade, you know, they come with their own leaves that begin to obscure the light because we just get lost. As he was talking about it, you know, I thought about it and I said, well, I understand that. I've observed that in my own life. What's really funny now is that I wrote these notes, I think, on Wednesday and now it's Sunday and I'm looking at them and I had written the events he reviewed, I observe in my life, but without the eclipse. And Wednesday that was true and today it's not. And so, you know, I kind of feel like this fraud. You know, I've got this talk to give that I'd planned on giving from one point of view, and I no longer have that point of view. Now I have another point of view. And the only way I know how to deal with fraud is to tell the truth about it. I don't know any other way. So for me, I guess I could try and save face and keep people thinking, oh, isn't he wonderful or whatever, whatever. Whatever people in this position, people who podcast, people who stand up in front of other people and talk, whatever it is they try and convey to others, I'm unable to do that. I'm unable to just go on with it as if nothing happened. We need always to work to separate from negative states, to fight imagination, to keep things clear, to make right connections. And sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we don't fight imagination. Sometimes imagination grips us and it pulls us under. Sometimes it's not so easy to separate from negative states. Sometimes negative states, they're like quicksand. You step into it, it'll look fine from the outside, and you step into it, and the next thing you know, you're up to your armpits looking for a way out, and you can't find a way out. The great thing about a group is that supposedly in a group, you should be able to cry out for help and receive it. But that's not always how it is because a group is made up of individuals, and individuals aren't always concerned with the group. Most of the time, when they're not in the group, they're concerned with themselves. They're concerned with their own individual life. And they forget about the group. They forget about our purpose. They forget about our goal. They forget about what we're here for and why there is this synergistic power in numbers. You take one person, and I think Proverbs 
Solomon says it in Proverbs that you take one little twig and it's easily broken. You take two and it's harder to break them. Take three and bind them together and it really gets difficult. That's the way it is with people. That's why generally we mate. We get together with another human being, another person, either a male or a female, and we kind of make a contract, okay, we'll go through this together. And with the divorce rate, what it is today in our country, obviously that's not something that we can count on either. I mean, what is it, over 50%? Let's just be generous and say it's 50%, that half the people that get married get divorced. And I don't mean only one of them gets divorced. I mean, both of them get divorced. But out of all the people that get married, half of them get divorced. So it's difficult to keep things clear and make right connections because we're social creatures and we depend on other people. And when we depend on other people, they're not always there. In our Course in Miracles study yesterday, we talked about fear and really that that's essentially what is at the bottom of us. What is at the very bottom of us is a raw, primordial fear. And we use all kinds of things to cover it up, to hide it, to push it down, to make it not something that we have to deal with. And yet there are times when an eclipse comes and we don't have any choice. We have to deal with it. And in that time, the only one there is to deal with it is you. There isn't anyone else. There isn't a group. There isn't another person. Because no one can ever be in that experience the way you are in that experience. So one of our greatest fears, of course, is being alone. And so we mate, we get together, we in tribes, clans, families, countries, whatever, cities, governments, and so on and so forth, and clubs. And it's to ward off this sense of the fear of being alone. Everything can be misunderstood. Everything can be taken wrongly. It can be improperly connected. And an effort of mind is necessary to get things clearer to ourselves. The problem is, is that we don't want to make an effort of mind. We want things to go right. We want to set them on a course like a train on its tracks and turn the train on and then be able to go away and just let the train run. We don't want to have to be there for it. We don't want to have to be there for every click of the tracks, for every turn of the wheel, for every puff of the engine or whatever it is. We don't want to be there for that. We have other things that we'd like to do. We'd really rather sleep or entertain ourselves or do something else. And this is what brings about an eclipse. It's the little things that we leave undone that start to build and build and build until finally we're caught off guard. How do we get caught off guard? We get caught off guard by life when we start to take life for granted and start to imagine that life is always going to go the way it's going. Since the train is on the track and it's going down the track this way, we imagine it's just going to keep on going that way. And we make our plans based on that. And we live our lives based on that. And then something comes and derails the train and we're stuck. We don't know what to do. We're scrambling then. Notice the propaganda of life, how easily we're hypnotized. Look, everywhere you look, all advertising is about, it's all going to be okay. Just get this product, then it's all going to be okay. We had um, a guy come out yesterday to do a termite inspection on the house because while we're painting, we found termites. He goes through the whole thing, you know. It's like the brochures and everything they have is about protecting your investment. Termites can eat your investment, eat away at your investment, and on and on and on, you know. And it's all fear-based. It's all, you have every reason to be afraid because the whole world is trying to eat you. But if you will give us this amount of money, we will guarantee you that the world won't eat you for a year. Well, it's true. I mean, this is really what it was about. You can feel that, oh, yeah, great. Okay, good. Give me the guarantee. 
You know, I want the guarantee. That's what I want. Give me the guarantee. How much is the guarantee? Yeah, I can. Fine, I'll mortgage the house. I'll refinance the house. Give me the guarantee. That's what I need. I want to protect my investment. I want to make sure that it's here long after I am. I want to make sure that I don't end up living in a refrigerator box. I want to make sure that life goes on just the way it's gone on. So you're going to take this amount of money, then you're going to guard me and protect me and make sure that these bugs don't eat my home and eat my investment and put me out on the street or worse, have it come crashing down around my ears, whatever. We're suggestible. We're suggestible because our centers work in almost complete darkness. The reason our centers work in almost complete darkness is because we live in almost complete darkness. And we live in almost complete darkness because we need always to work to separate from negative states, fight imagination, keep things clear, and make right connections. And we don't. We slack off. We only do it when it's absolutely necessary. The time that we realize it's time to do something is usually in a crisis. Who thinks about termites after they build a house? You don't think, well, if you do, you could could go crazy, I imagine, worrying about termites. Then you hear about it and somebody says, well, you know, they say in this town you need to have your house inspected every five years. Wow, I'm about four inspections behind. There's that. We need to stay on top of these things, but we don't stay on top of these things because it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Termites don't come and knock on your door and say, excuse me, uh, we're really hungry and I've got a wife and 50 million little children to feed. Would you mind if we eat your house? You'll never know we're there. We're not noisy, we'll just, you know, we're just hungry. You would say, no, go somewhere else. No, but they don't. And that's how life is. It just happens. And it happens when, you're, when you weren't looking. And so what this work is about is getting you to start to look to start to pay attention, to start to bring the light into the parts of ourselves where we don't usually let the light fall. All this leads to dimness, wrong connections, and evil leading to a place where truth is absent. People who get into these kinds of things, these esoteric things, religious things, and self-help kind of things, and I'm not saying that they're the same. I'm just saying that people group them together as those kinds of things. And they think one thing is the same as everything else except when it's not. When is it not? When I'm in this, then it's different than everything else. But when I'm outside of it, it looks the same as everything else to me. So that's what I mean by that. But the dimness, the wrong connections, people think that evil, well, you know, no, evil doesn't exist. There are no evil people. Yeah, yeah, there are. Evil does exist. It's very real. And evil is mechanicalness. Evil is the lack of light. And it's not that there's this entity that is trying to do something to you. A lot of people like to blame it all on Satan. Well, it's the devil made me do it. It's the devil did this, and the devil's trying to get me, and and demons are always whispering in my ear, and this is happening, and that's happening. But you know, probably 40 years ago, I had a teacher, Dr. Lamza, (laughs) and he didn't really believe in the devil. He said that the worst devil that he'd ever encountered in all of his life, and he had a long life, he was probably 80 then, was man. And if you look at all of the things that people have done in our history, you know, in the history of man, you look at the great dark figures like Stalin and Hitler, Napoleon, you know, you look at these people and you think, well, no man could be that evil. It had to be some supernatural force behind it. Why? We don't say it was a supernatural force that built that bridge. We don't say it was a supernatural force that flies people, 200 people or 300 people from one end of the ocean to the other end of the ocean. We don't say that's a supernatural force, but if it's bad, we say it's a supernatural force. There's some evil that's working. 
And the evil is darkness, and the darkness is because we are not allowing the light in. But it's much easier to believe in some entity, some spiritual entity that is trying to work against us, that is trying to befoul us, as it were. I don't blame people for wanting to think like that. It's easier. But again, remember, we need always to work to separate from negative states, to fight imagination, to keep things clear and make right connections. So we need to be keeping this clear in our minds. It's so easy to think, oh, well, life is out to get me, or life is evil, or life is this, or, or, or the devil is that, or people, or whatever. But it's up to us. It's up to us to let the light in, to make the right connections, and to not allow the negative states to persist to not allow the imagination to continually sweep us off our feet. Because that's what imagination does. It sweeps us off our feet and it carries us where it wants to take us. And then suddenly we find out that that's not real and we want out. But we go along for the ride as long as it's easy. In John, I like John, the Gospel of John, because it's the most esoteric of all the Gospels. What I mean is it's not more esoteric than the other three Gospels, but it's less understandable to people. And because it's less understandable to people, they consider it more esoteric, more obscure, more, there's more hidden meaning in it. Well, anyway, John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. It sounds like a big pronouncement about evil people and about evil deeds. And it's not that at all. It's a very simple formula. The light has come into the world and we didn't want the light because we wanted what we wanted instead. We wanted to do what we wanted to do instead. And we knew that that wasn't quite right, but we thought it was going to give us a hand up. We thought it somehow was going to give us the edge. We thought somehow it was going to get us over on somebody. I I watched a film the other day and this kid is is in a wheelchair and uh, he goes out and there's some other kids and and they're riding their little scooters. You push scooters, you push along with your foot, one foot on the scooter and you push, push along with the other foot. And one of the kids says, I'll bet my scooter's faster than your wheelchair. So the guy, you know, he's, he's a liver of life. And he says, how much money do you have? <laughs> so he bets with all these kids. And then they go and they race. Well, of course, the, the, the scooters are faster than the wheelchair. And there's a little girl with a baby buggy. And, and she's pushing that, you know. And she's even faster than the, than the wheelchair. And so he takes a shortcut and cheats. And, and he says, oh, but before he starts, he goes, okay, now nobody start until... I say go, okay? Now, nobody cheating. And so he starts his wheelchair, and he gets about 10 feet ahead or 15 feet ahead. He goes, go! And then they all go. And then they they end up getting past him, and he takes a shortcut and gets in front of him, but then they catch up with him and pass him again. Just before he gets to the finish line, he, he runs out of battery, and he stops dead just before the finish line. And they said, see, you cheated, and you, and you couldn't even win by cheating. And we don't believe that. We believe that we can win by cheating. And that's why we cheat. And we cheat ourselves by not facing ourselves, by not facing the truth about ourselves, by not facing the light in us, by allowing light to be eclipsed by our imagination, by our negative states, or by whatever it is that we're believing in, that we're thinking that somehow they're going to give us what we can't get ourselves. We have all these things that we want. We are just filled with wanting. We have all this stuff that we want, and yet We don't know how to get it, so we start to wrangle and contort and twist and lie and cheat and steal. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, I don't do that. Then I say, maybe it's time to let more light in. Maybe you just don't see the part of yourself that is like that. Maybe you just don't see the fear that is running you. And who would want to see it? I mean, I'm not thrilled about it. When I have to face my fears, it's not very exciting. 
they seem incredibly overpowering. It makes Goliath look like a midget. makes Goliath look like an ant in the land of giants because that's how our fears appear to us. They appear to us huge. Now, the best way to have them not appear to us huge is to have them not appear at all. And the best way to do that is to live in the darkness, to only stay on the light side of ourselves, to only stay on the things that we want to be conscious of, the things that we like to think about, and let these other things just eat in the dark. And hopefully we'll sell the place before we have to deal with them or you know, the next guy will have to deal with it. To say to ourselves, I can work, gives us a little shock, scattering those nasty little negative eyes that sneak in through our lapses of awareness. And the lapses of awareness are are the dark spots, the dim places. As we are, we have many dim places, letting in wrong-minded eyes. Our problem is wrong-minded eyes. You and I, our problem is wrong-minded eyes. We let these little eyes get in, these negative eyes get in that just can't think straight, that don't know the truth, that don't know the light that don't know what we're talking about here. And then they start making decisions for us, and they start talking to us, and they start telling us this and telling us that. And the next thing you know, you become persuaded because you're so used to propaganda, because we're so suggestible. As the times grow darker, it seems more than we can ever accomplish. As we look around in the world, it seems like, you know, there is no way that the light is going to win. These people are spending billions and billions of dollars dropping bombs on each other. But I think if you dropped money on the people, you'd probably have better success. If you just took those billions of dollars and flew over in an airplane and just poured out money so that the people could have food, so they could have clothes, so they could have medicine, so they could have education, so they could have some kind of hope for their future, it might do more good. But that's not what we do. Why is that? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that they're going to take the money and instead of buying food and medicine and clothes and housing and good education, that they're going to buy weapons and come and take away what we have. And so we fight them tooth and nail. And what's the best way to fight them? Prevention. Kill them while they're weak before they get strong enough to come and kill us. What kind of a world is this to live in? You look at this world and it's pretty much that way. Oh yeah, there's Peace Corps and there's the Red Cross and there's Jimmy Carter and there's people who are actually trying to do things in the world. But look at what makes a a person like Mother Teresa stand out in the world. What makes her stand out in the world is that there's nobody like her. Well, there's nobody like her now because she's dead, but there was nobody like her. Or at least we didn't see anybody like her. And that's the thing. The news isn't telling you about this person. They're telling you about all the other stuff. We're inundated with this propaganda. And the propaganda is all fear-generated. We have eyes that wish the light, but we've got more eyes that love the darkness. They love the comfort that the darkness brings. Look, when you try to sleep, do you want bright lights on or do you want the shades pulled? Exactly. Because in sleep, we want darkness. And darkness makes us sleep. We want comfort. And so we're willing to take the lies and we're willing to live in the blindness so that we can have what we think we want. Well, maybe we all want something higher, but what we want and what we settle for are two different things. You may want consciousness. You settle for oblivion right now. You'll settle for anesthesia right now. You may want to see the truth, but when it's painful, you just want the pill to make that pain go away. And the pill is darkness, dimness, unconsciousness. How can the work help us when we despair because we can't help ourselves in the growing darkness? Is the darkness growing or not? I, you know, I don't know. But I do know that for us, there are cycles of darkness, just like there's cycles of day and night. 
There's a cycle of darkness every however many hours, and there's light, and then there's darkness. There's light, and then there's darkness. And it seems to me like that's pretty much the way we are. Sometimes we have light, sometimes we have darkness. How can the work help us when we despair because of all this darkness, of our own darkness, our own inner darkness, our own desire to sleep, our own desire to just give up? How can the work help us? I'm going to go back to John because I like John. Chapter 1, verse 9 says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. What this esoteric literature is telling us is that there is a light in the world and that it is in every man. That when a person comes into the world, they come into the world with this spark of light inside of them. Call it whatever you want. In the work, they call it starlight. In Christianity, they call it spark of divinity. Maybe it's not Christianity that calls it that. I don't know what they call it. I guess Christianity would call it Christ in you, your hope of glory, which is interesting. You know, it's, it's interesting. You hear people talk about Christ, and I think, well, what are, they, what are they talking about? What do they know? Do they know that Christ is a Greek word that was translated into Greek from the Hebrew, the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah? Messiah is the anointed one. And that I had Dr. Lams explain this to me one time. He said, in the East, we see oil as light. We see butter as light. And I thought, butter? He said, yeah, if you stick a wick in butter and light it, it will burn. You will have light. They had little oil lamps, and it was just a little lamp that they, a little pot, basically, they'd fill with oil, and then they'd have a spout on it, and then they'd just light the oil at the end of that spout. And the oil would be drawn up, and it would burn, and they would have light. So when someone was anointed, they took oil, and they poured it on him. And so the anointed one was the enlightened one. It was the one who had the oil poured on him. And he had the oil poured on him so that he could bring light. When you look at it in that context, it changes things. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. We've all got this oil. We all come into the world with this oil. Now, it may be deep down in us, but we still come into the world with it. Everyone does. And when you do, it's up to you to light it. And then it's up to you to keep it lighted. It's up to you to then move that light around so that you begin to see in the darkness, so you can begin to see where you're, where you're going. John, again, this is the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, again, what does that mean? Well, they mean Jesus. No, what they mean is the Word is better translated the verb. In its original language, it wasn't the Word, it was the verb. And the verb is an action word. So, in the beginning was the verb. All right, well, what is a verb? It's a word that shows action, right? Like work, something being done. Let's now look at it this way. In the beginning was the work, the working of the word. In the beginning was the work. And the work, the verb, became flesh and dwelt among us. Does the work become flesh in you? Then the word that you hear from the work becomes flesh in you. It enters into you. It has to enter into you. Until it enters into you, it's worthless. It's just, in fact, it's dangerous. And so look at the Bible and how dangerous it has been to so many millions of people over the last couple thousand years because people took it and the word never really entered into them. They never got it. They just took the literal outer meaning and then they used that to persecute other people. And it's not just the Bible. Every book, every esoteric book can be used in that way if you take it exoterically. So unless the word or the work or the verb enters into you, becomes flesh, then you're lost. I mean, you end up doing all of these other things instead. I mean, look at the things that people did to save other people. 
just think of any Inquisition, the Italian Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition, the English Inquisition, the American Inquisition, everybody's had them. We don't name them that necessarily, but everybody's had them, where we purge the people who don't agree with us. We purge the people who we understand are not doing what they should be doing, which means what we're doing. And how we purge them generally is to kill them. And during the Spanish Inquisition, they would take molten lead and pour it in somebody's ears or their nostrils or down their throat. They would kill the body to save the soul. Well, you'll have a better resurrection. This is all crazy. I mean, we look at it now and we see how insane it is. But the people who did that were very sincere in what they were doing. I mean, think about it. How sincere would you have to be to pour molten lead in somebody's ears with them screaming the whole time? You'd have to be serving some higher power. And you are serving some higher power. You're serving the darkness. And how is it that people who think that they're serving the light can serve the darkness? Well, because we talked about it last week. If your eye is bad, then all the light that is in you is darkness. So how can somebody's light be darkness? Well, that's how. If you don't understand what you're dealing with, then your light, then the light that you have is darkness. And then how great is your darkness? I'm going to keep on going with John because he's still good. So the next one is, um, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's John chapter 1, 4, and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. How can the darkness comprehend the light? It can't. And that's why the little eyes in you, they're never going to comprehend this work. It's not their job to comprehend this work. It's your job to comprehend this work. It's the higher eye's job to comprehend this work that will lead to real eye. And then when real eye comes, when real eye dawns in you, then you have master. And master tells you what to do. And because you have gathered all the eyes together, and because you have, by gathering the eyes together around observing eye, and then that forms deputy steward, and then deputy steward forms steward, and then steward brings all of this to the master, and he says, here it is. It's all in order. I lay it at your feet. Command me. And then master commands And they all do what they're supposed to do. They all do what they're told to do. But that can only happen in the light. It cannot happen in darkness. In inner darkness, you can't bring them all together. You can't bring them together because you can't find them. So you've got to go searching. And this is our job now. Our job is to take this torch, this flashlight, this oil lamp, and go searching for these eyes that are hiding, that we tucked away in the closet because we didn't want anyone to see it, or because we didn't want anyone to know, or because we weren't willing to give that up. I want that. And so I'm going to have that no matter what. It's that kind of willfulness on our part that causes us to create these dark spaces and push things into them so that we can hoard them there. Not everything that is in the darkness are things that we want brought into the light. There are some things in the darkness that we want brought into the light. But there are a lot of things that you don't want brought into the light. When life eclipses us and darkness grows, you can get dragged down under the power of life. A man led by life will never reach real eye. It said, between you and life, the work must stand. Right now, life stands between us and the work. That's the truth about us. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make life passive and the work active. We're trying to make this false personality of ours that we have acquired through life that connects us with life. Life is its lifeline. It keeps it alive. It keeps it growing. It keeps it moving because it has a purpose for it. It's going to feed it to something somewhere, but it's going to grow it nice and fat first. So life is growing your false personality nice and fat so that it'll be good food, just like you would grow a nice fat cow or a nice fat chicken or a nice fat turkey. You don't want some scrawny range chicken or cow that's like the one in Genesis where it comes up and eats seven other cows and it's still skinny. You don't want something like that. You want a nice fat juicy cow. And that's what life is making of you. 
And so life needs to be made passive before it makes us passive. And there's a race on. Life is making essence, your essential self, passive. It has already made your essential self almost completely passive. Now it would like to finish the job. Our job is to turn that around. And how can we do that? Well, we can't. That's the whole thing. The whole issue is we can't, but the work can. The light that came into the world that lightens every man that comes into the world can. This is sounding awfully Christian, isn't it? Well, I don't think Gurdjieff would be upset by that. I know, I just got an email, well, not an email, but a message from a fellow in Great Britain. And he went to the uh, Gurdjieff Society in London. There, they had a meeting, and he went to that. And he said, oh, it's very, very nice people. He said, but I don't think that group's for me. And he said, it was a, just a beautiful, beautiful place where they met in this penthouse, you know, with a beautiful view and, of the sunset. And there were pictures of Gurdjieff everywhere. And he said, they really love Gurdjieff. Idolatry has never been one of my big problems. I've never really, if I'm going to worship an idol, it's going to be me. <laughs> you know, it's going to be my self-love. It's going to be my self-valuation. And I hate to say it, but that's the truth about us. And I'll just say it's the truth about me, and you can find out whether it's the truth about you or not. You know, if it's not the truth about you, then, oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. Lucky you. That's just great. I'm, I'm very happy for you. What are you listening to me for? What, what, what are you doing here? But if it is that way, then might, maybe it's time to face it. Maybe it's time to shine a light on that. Maybe it's time to look at that. Anyway, he talked about uh, how much they loved Gurdjieff and so on and so forth. And I thought, yeah, that's great, but, but we have to love the work. And the work is not Gurdjieff. And the work is not the fourth way. And the work is not Christianity. And Gurdjieff himself said, this is esoteric Christianity. And what that means is the people who have rejected Christianity now have another chance. That's what it means. Gurdjieff gave them another chance. He gave the rejectors, the wise, the men of learning and understanding, another chance. What is it Jesus said about that? Oh, I thank you, Father, that you've given this to the children and not to the wise and the men of understanding. But the wise and the men of understanding can't tolerate Christianity. It's too stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense because they haven't dug into it enough because they haven't looked at it esoterically. It's not exoteric. It's esoteric. It's about an inner world and an inner kingdom. It's not about the outside things. It's not about some heaven with streets of gold and angels and harps and, and whatever else. And somebody's, all going, somebody's going to do it all for you. It's about somebody did it. Somebody made it possible for the light to be in you and for that light to be able to lead you back to your source. But it's up to you to work out your own salvation. It's up to you to work out that way back. It's up for you to walk the path back that has been shown to you and is being shown to you. This path is being shown to you. This path of light is being shown to you. It's up to you to do it. I can't do it for you. And, and, and believe me, I would love to do it for you. But no matter how much you love somebody, even if you're willing to give up your life for that person, you still can't do it for them. Work makes a man who can be in life and remember the work at the same time. That's what this work does. It creates a man who can be in life and remember this work at the same time. But you know how hard that is. Life just overwhelms us so quickly. So essentially, the, the man the work makes leads a double life. He leads an internal life and an external life. He sees the outer life as one thing and its effects on him as another thing. This is right effort. This is the effort that we need to be making. A workman notices his depression and he notices what causes it. And then he notices his impression and the depression together. And he notices that neither one is him. And that's what we don't do. We notice that we're not the depression. Well, good, that's ha you're halfway there. Now notice that you're not what you take yourself to be as well. You're not the depression, and you're not what you take yourself to be. There are a certain number of recurring events that happen to everyone in life. There are millions of people getting divorced right now. But if you're getting divorced, you think you're the only one. 
if you're getting divorced, you think you're the only one with these problems. But there are millions of people doing it. There are millions of people with cancer right now. There are millions of people who are dying right now. Okay, maybe not millions, but there are a lot. Maybe there are millions. That's the way it is all over. But when it's happening to us, we feel like we're alone in it. Yet we're not. And the reason we feel like we're alone in it is because we don't have the light to see that everyone else is in it, that all these other people are in it as well. Right effort is to notice the cause and notice the effect of the cause in yourself, being conscious of both. Being depressed is a fact of life. And people who think that it's not are deluding themselves. What goes up must come down. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you're going to go up, you're going to come down. If you're going to be happy, you're going to be depressed. That's the way that is. That's not the problem. The problem is not covering up your depression and making it look like you're never depressed. The problem is not putting on a brave face, keeping a stiff upper lip. The problem is telling the truth about it. And the truth about it is you are not the depression. You can see the cause of the depression and you can see what it's doing to you. But you have to see that the cause and you are not the same and that your identification with what is being depressed is what needs to be separated from. That sounded a lot better in my mind than it did coming out of my mouth, so I hope it made sense to you. So right effort is what we need to make, and that's noticing the cause, noticing the effect of the cause in yourself, being conscious of both. This is how you get real knowledge of your machine, so you don't always go with it. You have learned not to always go with it, and what you've learned from that is that you go with it far too often, and that you can't help yourself. And so we want something to save us. We want something to rescue us. And there is something that can rescue us, and there is something that can save us. And it's that word, that work, that active power that came into the world as light that enlightens you. That power has the ability to show you the way out. But you have to follow it. And sometimes that takes great sacrifice. You have to give up what you want. Oh my God, I have to give up what I want, but I work so hard to get it. All the things we work so hard to get become burdens for us sooner or later. And isn't it amazing that we know that and we can shake our heads and we can say yes and we can still go out and work for some more, some more burden? Because we don't really believe it. Because most of all, what we are is liars. We lie to ourselves first. And we believe the lie. We believe the lie because we live in the darkness. We're machines only as long as we don't know ourselves. Look, machines don't know themselves. A machine would cease to be a machine if it knew itself. So you will cease to be a machine when you know yourself. All right effort is to know the machine. Then something else is created in us. Something that leads to real eye. We weren't made to be machines. We were made with the possibility of creating ourselves. With the possibility of making this space for light in ourselves. So that light could fill us. So that we could live in the light. And anyone who lives in the light doesn't want to do mechanical things. Doesn't want to do dark things. Doesn't want to do evil things. This present darkness is from no third force. We live in darkness because we have no third force. Because life is our third force. But we need a neutralizing force, something that will come between these opposites. So the third force for us is this work. The third force for us is esoteric teachings. The third force for us is the light. If the celestial body that comes between you and the light is the sun, you're still going to have light. There will be no eclipse. What I'm saying is, if we can get this work to be our third force, it is light. And you don't have to live in this darkness. You don't have to be eclipsed by life. You don't have to be overshadowed by life. You don't have to be dragged under by life. As it is, you're dragged under a lot less, but still, you're dragged under. And my experience of the past couple of days has been absolutely, without a doubt, confirming that to me. It's like, yep, when I wrote this, it was like the events he reviewed, I observe in my life, but without the eclipse. Well, now I have observed the events in my life with the eclipse. And any eclipse, it comes, then it's total, and then it goes. Light doesn't just turn on and turn off. I'm coming out of the darkness. Last night was one of my dark nights of the soul, man, I'll tell you. 
And this morning, about three or four o'clock this morning, I woke up and I had some ease. I had some relief from it. And it was like, dare I even believe that I could be out of this? You know, is this really going to happen? It's amazing to me that when something bad happens, I think, oh, good, what's next? That's great. Now what's next? Bad things come in threes. Something good happens, and I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that it's going to lead me out of it. And those little negative eyes are always hedging their bets. Well, just in case it does go wrong, I'll be right. Wow, that's great. So you get to be right in darkness. I'd rather be wrong in the light. Think about it. Would you rather be right in darkness or wrong in the light? If I'm wrong in the light, I can see what's wrong and I can do something about it. But if I'm right in darkness, I'm completely lost. This present darkness from no third force, it, makes, it just makes opposites so far apart. You know, when people get divorced, why they get divorced is because the things that they can't reconcile are so far apart that they finally give up. Now, the truth is they were giving up all along, and that's how they got that way. When people stop working, the weeds take over, the vines grow up and wrap around you, the darkness encroaches, the eclipse comes. It's when people stop working. It's not when people are working. People don't get divorced when they're working. They get divorced when they've stopped working. And it's the same way with us in life. All esotericism is to attain unity, to bring these opposites together. Third force of life will not bring about unity in ourselves. Life is not going to do it for you. If life was going to bring about unity, everyone would be one. But they're not. And so we have contracts and lawyers and laws and wars and guns and locks. All because people are not one. All because there is no unity. If someone was unity, one being, they were all good or all bad, you'd know what to do. But it's not like that. So somebody comes out and they come to your house, they knock on the door and they say, I'm selling this or that. And you say, oh, and it's for a good cause. And, and it's these magazine subscriptions and they're magazines that you would love. And you'll send somebody to college or you'll do this or you'll do that. And so you buy it and then you find out later it was a scam. They appeared to be good, but they were not one. If the work acts through us, we'll not go downward but upwards. Increasing unity is only possible by increasing consciousness. You're not going to become one by following life. There are no examples in life to follow that will bring you to unity. Only examples to follow that will bring you to unity come from outside of life. It's the work, the word that came into the world, that was the light of the world, that enlightens every man that comes into the world. That will lead you to unity. But the world will not lead to unity. The world will hide your disunity in darkness. If that's what you want, then you don't have to do anything. But if this other is what you want, then you have work to do. I know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you have work to do. The more irreconcilable the opposites one has within, the less meaning one has to live by. Work makes two hostile back-to-back opposites turn to face each other and cooperate, producing something other than a conflict. This work promotes harmony, and how it promotes harmony is through understanding, and how it promotes understanding is through light. What you can see and connect to something else you can understand. What is understanding? Understanding is the ability to connect one thing to another as they are connected, as they are rightly connected. So if you have understanding, you're only going to get that in the light. And when you do, it will promote harmony. And harmony will promote unity. It's about bringing the dark side into the light of consciousness and not just imagine what we admit to consciousness is all of us. How we are is we imagine that what we admit to our consciousness is all there is. Well, this is all there is of me. But that's just not true. There's a whole other you that you know nothing about. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's a whole other you. There's a whole Mr. Hyde that works in the darkness. Sun goes down, he comes out. When does, when, what does that mean when the sun goes, goes down? When you lapse into unconsciousness. When you start to become mechanical. 
Buffers prevent us because our consciousness isn't full enough to shed light on both sides of the buffer so that we can see for ourselves our own inner contradictions. If you could see your own inner contradictions, they wouldn't be there. You would choose one or the other. They would not be there, but you can't see them together. If you could see them together, you could bring them together. And when you brought them together, you could synthesize it into a new you. But as it is, we don't see it. And so what's the answer for this? Well, if buffers prevent us because our consciousness isn't full enough, then the remedy for that is a fuller consciousness. Well, how do you get a fuller consciousness? Well, that's what this work is about, self-observation, shining the light of non-identified, non-condemning, separated consciousness into yourself, looking at yourself as if you were looking at an interesting stranger. John 12, 32, my last one from John, well, this week. I don't have any idea what it'll be next week. If there'll be a next week, I don't even know if there's going to be a next week. Isn't it amazing how we just lapse right into that unconsciousness next week? And next week, this is what we'll do. John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And what is that I? That I is the word, that I is the work, that I is the verb, the active power of light. That's what that I is. And if you lift that eye up, if you lift that light up in yourself, then you will have light in you. Maybe not all at once, but you will have light in you. And so, in our hour of darkness, when it looks like we have no one to stand by us, when it looks like we're in this alone, when it looks like the world is winning, the darkness is winning, lift that little eye up. I don't care how small it is. Lift that little eye up, and it will start to draw you to it. And as it draws you to it, you will find that you have more and more light. And in the light, you can do things that you could never do in the darkness. Of course, in the darkness, you can do things you could never do in the light, which is why we love the darkness so much. But when you see what it costs to live in the darkness, then you want the light. And you're willing to sacrifice the joys and the thrills of the darkness for what the light can give you. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.